Hey everybody, okay. We've got a lot of fun things to talk about. It is Saturday. We don't we haven't done a Saturday stream, maybe ever. I'm not sure if we've done one in past years, certainly nothing like this. I've done one every Saturday without you. <laughs> well, people need to be watching those, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm Aziz. This is Sean. We have Ashea over here running production. And we are going to do, as I said, this is kind of a new format for us. One thing we're going to make sure we do is get this out in time in podcast form for those who want to listen to it in podcast form. So we're going to keep this a little shorter than usual. However, for those of you who are here watching live, we're going to go past our normal amount of time. We're going to do about an hour of planned material here, stuff we plan to talk about, and maybe a few questions. But then after that, we're going to make this officially end, but stay live to take more questions just for you live folks. And just to give you all a little bonus for showing up live, we're going to take questions just from you guys. That'll be at the end, though. So for now, we've got plenty of prepared things to talk about. We checked out the trailers. We've got screenshots. We've got theories. And we've had all week to think about it, which is a different look than, you know, when we start right away on Monday, give you our thoughts, and then we, you know, come back with our book to show episode later in the week. But hey, that's been several days since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of new thoughts develop in my mind. In yeah, did you days. have any anything you wanted to start with that's uh, in particular percolating in your mind, or should we just dive right in? We'll dive in and it'll come out as we go. I, I don't want to derail the, the flow. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on Saturday. One of the purposes of doing this on a Saturday, not just the other things I've just listed, but in, we wanted to make sure some of you guys who couldn't make the other times, especially people that aren't in the U.S. because of the time zones, this gives a lot of people who wanted to join us live an opportunity to do that. There are people outside the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> I thought all of us Americans were supposed to believe that only America was the only country. We're not those kind of Americans. It's easier to be the greatest if you're the only one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so a couple of details on this episode. The episode is called The Queen's Justice. And like always, we expect that to have multiple meanings. The official description is different than the first official description. It's expanded from what we were first told. It's Daenerys holds court. Tyrion back channels. Cersei returns a gift. Jamie learns from his mistakes. The Tyrion back channels line was not in the official release, or the first official release. It was not on IMDb, but that's this is an official um, synopsis. Hat tip to Watchers on the Wall for keeping us up to date on that. Watchers on the Wall is pretty much our only source for news. There's other news sites out there covering Game of Thrones, but I don't really see a lot of reason to go elsewhere, to be honest. The episode is directed by Mark Mylod, who also did the previous episode, Stormborn. He also did episodes three and four in season five and episodes seven and eight of last year. So this is his third batch of two. He's done two in a row. This will be the third time. Um, I don't know if he's directing any episodes in season eight, but we'll, uh, we'll see. This is a 63-minute episode, which will be the longest so far of the season. It's certainly not the longest of the season. Um, when the season's over, there'll have been a 71 and an 81-minute episode. However, episode four is only going to be 50 minutes, so that's going to be the shortest Ever. 50 minutes, I'm not even going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> because of the tightness of this episode, because we're not, because we're trying to cover a lot and try to keep it around an hour. And again, remember, we're going to stay after the hour to take questions from you guys. But for this first hour, we're going to not take very many questions. If you have a super chat, if you want to pay money to get a question through during the live stream, we will take care of you there. But we just want to keep it running really quickly. So we're not going to pause for any other questions other than the ones that we've already pre-selected. So based on the trailers... Now, a lot of times, they show you most of what's in the episode in the trailer. And I don't mean most of it. I just mean most of the locations. But not always. Yeah. Sometimes they, there's a location that's in the episode that we don't see in trailers. What we haven't seen in trailers for this one is Arya. We haven't seen the Brotherhood. And we haven't seen Bran, but there is hints that Bran will be in this episode. So that's where we'll start. The North. Remember that early trailer, I think it was the second trailer, where Sansa's walking away and there's the quote that's Littlefinger's talking and then later in that trailer she gives her lone wolf speech. Well, some very astute observers noted that there was in the very deep background of that shot of Sansa walking away from the weirwood, there looked to be a person sitting. And a person sitting would be Bran in a wheelchair because this is outdoors and there's no, just a chair by the weirwood. <laughs> so, and we know from another trailer shot that Bran gets... A wheelchair. So this all fits very well. 
So this sort of confirms what we had guessed at before, which is that Bran is probably going to show up at Winterfell before Arya. And we predicted just for story purposes that they wouldn't do both of those in the same episode. Do we still, you still feel that way? I think so. I think it maybe also makes it easier to manage if Jon has already left. The, the more people you have together, the less intimate the reunion will be. And also physically with Bran, it's harder to have a group hug when he's immobilized. So it does make sense to me that Bran will show up and see Sansa. Then later Arya will show up. Maybe Sansa's not even there anymore. Who knows by that time. Mm. I can imagine Sansa being slow-rolled, showing up, or maybe running into Jon on the way back or something like that. Interesting. And we have definitely a shot of Sansa and Littlefinger together. We have a still of that coming up in a minute here. And I totally agree with you. With Jon being gone... Presumably he's already left. I believe we saw him ride out at the end of the episode. I forget exactly, but I'm pretty sure that's... In any case, we expect him to be gone before Bran shows up for the exact reason you said. It makes it a lot simpler for them to work on the story when they have these reunions be one-on-one rather than a whole group of them at once, which is also why it's probably safe to guess at the Brotherhood, if they're even going to show up at Winterfell, which we do expect, that will also maybe be held off for another episode. Real quick, I want to think for a second. Is anyone still going to be at Winterfell... That Bran would know. Besides Sansa? Yeah. Um, I can't think of it. He never met Brienne or, you know, many other characters who have showed up there. He never met before. Anyone that was there before, I think, is dead. It's a good question. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Like, it's going to be very unfamiliar to him. That's a great point. Also, what is Mira going to do? That's an open question. Mira's role, we always, you know, like for a lot of times you wonder, we always have this fear when a character doesn't have a lot to do, you wonder if they're going to die. But Mira doesn't seem to be in in any imminent danger either. I mean, she's just chilling at Winterfell, presumably, or currently at the wall, maybe going to show up at Winterfell in this episode. I can't believe I hadn't thought of this until you just now brought it up. But I remember in the past season, or maybe even two seasons ago, I was speculating that she might go... To find her father. Yes, yes. And that could still happen, I suppose. Yes, right? absolutely. They could be like, hey, I'm going to go find my father. And that might be also part of how it's revealed who John really is. Yeah, that could really work out. Yeah, I totally agree. We're all... I wouldn't be confident that Helen Reed is going to show up. But I. But they. she specifically mentions him in the first thing. She says, I'm Mira Reed, daughter of Helen Reed. They throw mm-hmm. his name out there again. Yeah. So I do think that's maybe a, a slight... Teaser, a slight clue. So, yeah. And she has strong motivation to find her father. Like, never mind just wanting to be with her family, but also to let her know, Mm -hmm. hey, Jojen's dead, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge reason. I mean... Never mind rallying of forces. We would expect him to want to know what's up with his kids, right? But we know that Greywater Watch, his castle, can't receive ravens because it moves. It floats. It's a floating castle. Hmm. You know, it's one of those bog... It's one of those standard-issue bog castles that floats and moves. You know, we all know the type. (laughs) There's one in our neighborhood. (laughs) That one has internet, though. They don't need ravens, so... (laughs) Which gives the showrunners a little leeway, because they can have it take as long or as little time as they want for Mira to find him. They can say, oh, it could take all the rest of the season, and he won't show up till episode... till the next season. Or it can be, you know, at the finale, or it could be, you know, just a couple episodes from now. They have all kinds of flexibility there. So that's neat. I like that. A lot of possibilities. Something else that occurred to me that uh, is going on in the North. First of all, something we talked about is that Littlefinger now has maybe a little more leeway to, to try to work his dirtiness <laughs> because John just threatened him, but now John's gone. And if he had plans to manipulate Sansa, well, she's not a pushover by any means. She's already been giving him the hand constantly, like, get out of my face, you know, I'm not interested. Still... And he's he's like, okay, fine. He's just leaving her alone. (laughs) (laughs) And it's important to remember something that I did to prepare for this episode is to go back and look at the other trailers that we've had so far this year. And that's really important because it helps us narrow down what's still to come. And I'm going to give a little more detail on that later. But we've seen most of the trailer shots of Sansa and... Littlefinger, or we will have after this episode, given the trailer shots that reveal they they match up with some of the other trailer shots. So, other than like Littlefinger's creeping around the corner shot that we saw in the second trailer, where he just looks like classic Littlefinger peering around a corner, <laughs> that's one we haven't seen. Oh, maybe we'll see that one in this episode. But after that, since we have Sansa walking away from a tree coming up in this one, I'm not sure what's left. So they're they're really keeping that close to the chest. They're really hiding that. On one hand, maybe Littlefinger has more room to make a move if John is gone. 
But on the other hand, kind of analyzing how things are going, a, a, a detail that we observe. Like, this is one of those things that after the first or even second or third watching, we didn't quite absorb the potential meaning of this. But now, having thought about it for a few more days, Royce keeps getting limes, right? They keep featuring that character. And he has had ties in his family throughout the season from the literally the first scene of the whole thing. Um, he hates the little Lannisters. He's been saying that for a long time, yeah. too. But it makes us wonder why they're choosing to have him be a character with these lines and these these big moments, these these interactive scenes with a bunch of different characters. He's getting his two cents in. Why him? And I think a reason for it might be because if Littlefinger does get killed, it seems like Littlefinger maybe is getting himself into precarious positions here, there's someone to take the role as leader of the Vale and those knights in that army. That's, it's a, I totally agree. It's like a meta prediction. Like like we yeah. used to predict that Tormund was safe because there's just no other wildlings no other with names. Wildlings, right? Yeah, but as soon as they start bringing in other wildlings, like, oh, watch out, Tormund. But, and there's other examples like that, so I, I completely agree this is a good theory. It's added to when you think about the fact that he has reason to not like Littlefinger in the first place. If there is some move against him, he would be behind it. Littlefinger kind of, at best threatened him you know yeah. like the, the nicest you could put it is he gave him a, a, a subtle threat of turning robin against him so you can see how he might himself he doesn't seem like the type to do conniving and plotting and politicking but if conniving and plotting and politicking was going down he'd be on board for getting rid of Littlefinger. yeah and we he's already established himself as someone who's supportive of the north and the older traditions his son is the one that was killed in the very first scene of season one that's sir waymar royce the leader of that expedition beyond the wall that was him being killed and also taking this rabbit hole a little farther brienne killed his other son which might be a problem i might be i could see the show just kind of glossing over that or maybe just pretending that Royce isn't aware of who killed his son, that he knows he was a member of the Rainbow Guard. But that was right after the spirit demon killed Stannis. Or Renly, yeah. Renly, sorry, yeah. And guards came rushing in, and there's dead Renly with Brienne standing there, and yeah. everyone assumed it was her, so she has to defend herself, her can't run away. But one of those men that ran in was Royce's son. Yeah, and that's easy to miss because I don't think they gave his name out loud. They definitely put it in the extended material. His name's in the wiki, his name's on the other places. But I don't know if it was ever said out loud. And in the books, it's a much more emotional moment because it's Sir Loras who kills them. He goes mad with grief and slays them because he's like, why weren't you guarding him? And he just goes nuts and he sort of half blames them. So it's easy to forget that it was Brienne in the show because it's a much more emotional moment in the books because Brienne's just self-defense and we and it's against two unnamed characters. Yeah. But in the books, it's, it's a little more specific. And I wonder if if after the fact they released it as some material in the, the world of knowledge that exists, but it wasn't named in the show. I wonder yeah. if the, the writers at this point are maybe unaware that that has happened or be they're like, why did someone do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I could see Royce not knowing that his son was killed by Brienne and just being... Maybe he's heard a rumor. But that could come up, though. If Sansa's dealing yeah. with Royce, they're negotiating, that could come up. Brienne may just come, hey, sorry, you know, I did, it was self-defense, I killed your son, I'm sorry. Like, the not honorable thing to do, kind of approach him and own up to it. I could see something like that happen. could also see them completely skipping over it. <laughs> Would she know that it's his son? She should, because they were in the Rainbow Guard together. They're both, they were both named the Rainbow Guard. You'd, you'd okay. think she would know the names of the other Rainbow Guard. Like, yeah. that would be kind of like Maren Trant not knowing the names of... Of the other Kingsguard or something. Which, by the way, ironically, you can't say because we don't know their names. <laughs> <laughs> good point, good point. Tough but fair. <laughs> Do we have anything else for this section? I think that this is largely unknown. We didn't get a lot. There's no dialogue from the trailers. Just a few shots, and really, these shots don't tell us much. Sansa standing next to Littlefinger. Well, seen that a bunch of times already. And Sansa walking away from the weirwood tree. Well, we've talked about that. The, the implication, I suppose, there, though, is maybe Bran is using the weirwood and Sansa's privy to whatever he's looking up. But that also is just... The possibilities are so limitless yeah. with what Bran could be looking at or telling Sansa or... It was another thought that I had. Let's assume that Littlefinger maybe is in trouble. I've been sort of assuming that Littlefinger had plot armor, and if he died, it wasn't going to be till much later. But let's say he does. And maybe even if he doesn't die, maybe he gets run off, Right. I had also been assuming that Littlefinger was going to be the one to reveal to John his true identity. I thought that scene in the crypts, that's where that was going to come, but it didn't yeah, come. It did. So now I'm reevaluating where John will get this information from, maybe from Bran. Maybe Bran, through some vision, will be the yeah. one to let John know about this. In fact, it's other than our hope for Howland Reed, I'm not sure there is another way. 
you know? So, anyway. All right, let's move on. We got to keep going. We're going to go to Dragonstone now, where John and Davos are going. Trailers seem to reveal that John and Davos are basically going to go in by themselves. They've got some guards with them, but as far as going into the throne room and talking to Danny and all that, it's going to be them. But let's back up, because we sort of expect news of the battle to reach them before John and Danny, John and Davos do. Not, certainly nothing to be super confident about. News of the sea battle. Yeah. And we definitely have a shot of a <coughs> rowboat coming ashore, what appears to be Dragonstone, and safe guess, that's Theon, like... Isn't there another shot, not just of a rowboat, but of a, a, a swarm of men, a dozen or 20 men on the coast? Maybe yeah. a couple boats. It looks to me like people washing up from the shipwrecks, you know? It could be that. It's just kind of ambiguous. We've got two different landings coming, one John right, and, yeah. and Davos, and another is probably Theon. In the earlier trailer, someone is staggering ashore, which definitely doesn't seem like John and Davos or anything like that. Like, the person looks like he's been through an ordeal, which obviously that fits Theon super well. And it's really going to be interesting to see whether it comes before or after John Davos getting there. Either way, Danny's reaction will be interesting. Tyrion's reaction will be interesting. It's just—it's a major setback. We've already discussed it at length. It, it almost certainly takes the Dornish army off the table entirely. And that's a best-case scenario for, for Danny's team because it's possible. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible the Lannisters will leverage their, their hostages to keep the Dornish on their side rather than keep them out of the war. So it could go even worse for Danny and Tyrion, though. I think that's highly unlikely because your theory about them not wanting to cast or produce any Dornish soldiers as a way to keep the budget in line, I think is a very good theory. So I don't expect, I do expect them to just simply just be not involved. And there's definitely a lot of shots of Danny gazing out over the water. She's watching her dragons in one shot. There's a lot of these. We didn't bother grabbing any of these because there's nothing revealing about them. They're beautiful. We could have grabbed them for that reason. <laughs> but there's also this angry, you know, re uh, stating her kind of thesis, which is, I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms, and I will. That Maybe this is said to John and Davos. As maybe they argue about something. Maybe they're like, no, I'm the king. No, I'm the queen. You know, I'm the, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it could be... Her frustrated at, after getting the news of the sea mm -hmm. battle lost and, and maybe something, you know. A lot of times where you put the emphasis on a statement can change what the statement means and yeah. the context of it. What she might be saying, that might be something she's saying to John, and the emphasis is on the seven kingdoms. Yeah. You know, maybe he's saying, mm -hmm. look, I, we have a different battle to fight. I'd like to support you. Maybe we'll bend the knee. I got to talk to my bannerman. She's like, no, 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 you listen. I was born to rule the seven kingdoms, and I will. Yeah, and... If we go back to the earlier trailers, we have John making a plea, say our families have fought together for, you know, X hundred years, etc., fought against a common enemy. That seems to be him talking to Daenerys, especially since it doesn't appear to be him talking to the Northern Lord since he's left the North now. There's a small chance it was that, although that would have been maybe, that's kind of already happened. So I would, it seems very likely that he's saying that to Danny, and that's delivered calmly and more of a like, hey, let's work together. But if Danny's in a bad mood, if she's angry, if she's like, no, I'm, I want to exert my authority, she could demand that the Vale, the North, come help her fight at King's Landing. Remember, she wanted a native army to besiege King's Landing. Mm -hmm. She may not have a native army anymore. She definitely has lost the Dornish. She may, she's going to lose the Tyrells, we fully, and the Reach, whether that happens in this next episode is up in the air. But if that happens soon, you know, before this meeting, she's got, she's reduced to no native armies. And then her plan falls apart to, in or, in, to besiege it with a, with a native army. So she might demand that John send his army south, which he's going to be like, what? I, I can't send my army south. We got, did you hear what I said? The north, blah, blah, blah. You know, that won't work. So, and maybe he'll be like, well, you send your dragons north and maybe we'll send you some... <laughs> Here's the thought, like by that. the way. Maybe that's a way some of these other thoughts we've had. Maybe John will send just the Knights of the Vale. That's possible. And Littlefinger and or Royce can go with them. And you guys fight that battle and come back as soon as you can. In the meantime, I'll rally other troops. We've got Danny's dragons coming eventually based on this promise. Maybe that's a, a compromise he could make that would also be a way to account for why they're featuring this Royce character. Maybe he could be a leader on the battlefield. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and like I said, we have very few scenes of later in the season from the trailers. Well, it's kind of when I figured out we've got some we've got some shots of John doing his thing in the north, like running around with Beric and everybody and whites running around. We've got that and we've got, you know, one shot of the Night King. But for the most part, there's not like I said, there's just not a lot of trailer shots that appear to be late in the season. So, yeah, there's a lot of room for 
other battles that we, you know, or little shots, maybe smaller engagements. You know? As I was doing that, by the way, it's another way maybe for John to assert himself with a little finger after a little confrontation. If he goes back and makes this announcement like he does every time without telling anyone what any of his plans are, just drops a bomb on everyone. And he's like, all right, everyone, Danny's going to help us. But first... Littlefinger, you're going to take your nor- your army down to help her. He, it would be hard for him to argue against that, you know. Yeah. So we have no trailer shots of Highgarden. That's at least we might, well, we might have a trailer shot of Highgarden. It's tricky. We've got a shot later of Jamie that we're not sure where it takes place. And that's maybe it's after taking Highgarden. I'm not, I, it's kind of a stretch for that to be in this episode. But it could be. We have some shots of some soldiers but I'm confident that those are not uh, Tyrell soldiers. They are wearing red and they're standing on battlements. They really look like they're archers. And we see other shots of these same archers engaging with the Unsullied. So it seems very likely those are from Castle Rock. But anyway, so we were trying to get at whether the possibility of this Tyrell situation being resolved before John gets there. Because that would be huge. But there's really no way to know what the order of things are going to be in. So it's something to keep an eye out for. Okay, Shay's going to pull up. An image here of Varus and Melisandre standing outside. There's a lot of interesting shots of Team Danny being outside in this episode. And it's interesting to note that they're wearing different outfits in the inside shots, or in the outside shots versus the inside shots. In the inside shots, Danny's got her new black and red, like, badass queenly raiment. Tyrion's all well-garbed, and Missandei's all dressed up. And then there's a few other shots of them outside, and maybe they're showing off the dragons to John and Davos. That seems likely. They'd want to show John the dragons, right? Yeah. That's obviously setting up the possibility that the dragon is, like, friendly to John or something huge like that, you know, something very meaningful. But there's nothing in the trailer that suggests that that happened. It's only our own inference. As likely as it seems, it may not happen. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> now... This Varus and Melisandre action is interesting because, of course, we wonder about what their deal is, whether they're going to have problems with each other. Well, I don't expect Melisandre to have problems with Varys, but the other way around could be there. And what happens if Daenerys asks Melisandre about Jon? And what happens if Jon and Davos tell Melisandre, tell, tell on Melisandre regarding Shireen? You know, Danny wouldn't be happy with that. Really tough. It's hard There's to see. There's already been other things that you wouldn't think Dana would be happy with, but she's still teamed up with the Dornish, even though they killed Marcella. So. Exactly. And another, this one maybe slides under the radar a bit, but I don't expect Davos to have a problem with Tyrion, but Davos' son was killed by wildfire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was Tyrion's uh, gig there, so... It's there's a chance that there's a little to do, but I expect him to be more bothered by Melisandre's presence if if uh, if she doesn't go off and hide, you know. And she might be like, "Your Grace, I shouldn't be around for while well, they're here. We we have a little history. Maybe yeah. I should just stay uh, <laughs> off off screen." I will say, so far they seem to present Melisandre as having grown a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that she might understand the nature of the politics involved, whatever her beliefs, which she's maybe questioning already or her interpretations of them, she might see, okay, there's some other strong characters. They have some legit opinions. I don't want to mess things up. Things are on track to where I want. Let me go find the Brotherhood Without Banners. Let me go find that Arya girl. I wonder if that Gendry guy is still out there somewhere. She's got other things to work on. Well, right in line with what you're saying, I grabbed some quotes from Carice Van Houten herself, and the actress who plays Melisandre, and she weighs in in an interview with Hollywood Reporter. There's some untied knots in some of these stories, and loose ends with Arya. There's still a few things I think are bound to happen still. She also says she leaves Winterfell more heartbroken for the world than for herself. So it does show that she still does have this, you know, despite what a lot of people think about her, according to Carice anyway, Melisandre is still devoted to the cause of humanity as you know it just seems hard to grasp sometimes because of all the things she's willing to do as dirty as she's willing to get her hands in order to get this goal across she also says she's more realistic and self-aware in that sense it's as if she can look at herself better now she doesn't have that fanatic point of view which is you know that's good (laughs) we don't fanatics uh aren't good you know that's not it's not helpful to be a fanatic it's worth noting by the way Again, you know, you look at, it's so easy when you see Melisandre saying, burn this little girl and burn this little girl. But she has this bigger picture in mind. And when you hear Danny say, let's lay siege to King's Landing, what do you think that means? Starving children. Do you think children. everyone's going to have a party? Yeah. Do you, who do you think's going to get fed first? The starving kids or rich Cersei Lannister? You know, like when Danny wants to lay siege to King's Landing or anyone wants to wage war... People are going to die. Kids and innocent people are going to die. And that's a great point because they're all like, oh, we don't want to burn people with dragon fire. Well, 
I don't know. If you ask some of them, they'd rather be burned with Dragonfire than starve to death. Yeah. To see their kids starve to death. Like, look at what... Ask Sandor how hard that is to see after the fact. Especially when you're responsible for it. So... That, by the way, speaks even more to their military inexperience. You have all these politicians that are trying to come up with a war plan, and they're like, yeah, siege is no big deal. Let's do a siege. That's more friendly than just burning everything. It's like, is it? A couple people commented on our episode bringing that up, and I think it's very astute. It's potentially more friendly if when a siege starts, the people rebel, Mm -hmm. or something along that lines, or or if the siege is like the first wave as they prepare for the next wave, or something like that. Like... It's the alternative is also bad. Like swooping with dragons and burn everything down. That's also bad. Probably worse because it eliminates a lot of hope, but it also eliminates a lot of suffering. So again, as I said before, just the idea of wanting to conquer at all in and of itself is bad. You know, like, <laughs> yes, it, maybe yes. in the end, after you conquer and you instill justice, maybe you justify it all. But people don't make that argument for Stannis. You know what I mean? When he burns Shireen at the stake, no one's like, well, you don't understand. When he takes over, then he'll stall justice and this one person has to suffer for it. Well, when Danny, these other characters want to wage war, scores, thousands of people suffer for it. Everyone yep. hates Stannis so much, you know? Yeah, it's, everyone is... It's yeah. just more in They're our all face guilty. what he did, so... Yes, I agree. Okay, so... So this is probably what they mean. I don't think there's anything too outstanding to read in the quote, Danny holds court. That seems pretty straightforward, although the, the possibilities are where it's like, whoa, how this monumental meeting between John and Danny is going to go is just a lot of possibilities. So we'll, we'll back off on making any more guesses because it's just so wide open because we we've got a lot to cover. But there's another comment that's really important, Tyrion back channels. That's from the description. That's the added part of the description that we didn't have earlier. Well... It's really easy to narrow that down. We already pointed out that it's just John and Davos as far as named characters that are showing up. So there's only one person for him to back channel with, and that's Davos specifically. Unless he, unless this refers to him back channeling with letters to some other parts of the kingdom, it's got to be this. Otherwise, I just don't. I see guess it's also possible that some other character travels with John or Davos that they didn't show us, like Royce or Littlefinger or someone else, and maybe Tyrion has some meeting with. Well, you can actually them. see them on the walkway. Walking up, yeah. and it's just those two with with people. It's like where it's not like there wouldn't be a place for this person to be hidden. But I see what you're saying. Like there's maybe something I didn't think of, but it seems very likely that Tyrion and Davos. So that what that indicates is that John and Danny maybe are butting heads a little bit. You need the two second in commands to kind of you know pave the path to an arrangement. Which this is fairly realistic. This sort of thing happens in real life all the time, where you know outwardly the two heads, the two kind of alphas, aren't perfectly getting along, and you need. Their second in commands to make do some deals behind the scenes and present those deals to their uh, you know rest, so they, so that the the two alphas aren't making the agreement. It's the their seconds are making the agreements with their yeah. respective alphas, and then they're like okay because it's like Tyrion can convince Danny of something more far more easily than, than John, John can, and, and Davos can convince something John of something, or Sansa can convince John of something easier than Danny can. Yeah, and so there's a lot of possibilities here as well. We have another shot. We have Tyrion outside, standing outside, and this is a different um, image. Then of him inside, I point, as I pointed out earlier, there's they, they're changing clothes, and this so there, it seems that there's likely to be multiple scenes here at Dragonstone, probably all involving John, but maybe not. There may be some prior to him getting there where they're dealing, like again, where they could be dealing with the aftermath of the lost battle, and with with all these shots outside, it certainly leads more to the idea that the dragons are going to be involved. Now, I had just a funny thought that is tangentially related. In the books, Varys and Illyrio kind of wanted to have Viserys invade, only to have the Dothraki, with the Dothraki, to have them be a manufactured threat for their candidate to save the realm from. Ironically, those Dothraki, who are supposed to be a manufactured threat, may turn out to be pretty crucial to actually saving the realm from, say, the White Walkers and to helping Daenerys kind of get rid of Cersei (laughs) so that someone who actually cares is in charge. It's, I mean, it remains to be seen if Danny's actually going to help the Northern effort, but she's a lot more likely to than Cersei is. You know, uh, bringing up Viserys there, you remind me of something I was thinking about Danny is that she's maybe a little, little shade of him, maybe a little naive and over eager when she's like, I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms, and I will. That sounds like something he would say, right? <laughs> yeah, probably yes. something he did say. That's true. So looks like we got uh, close to 500 people live. Thank you, folks. Remember that if you're here live, we're going to stay after the official ending of this recording to take more questions from you guys. 
maybe do a half hour, 45 minutes of that. And that will not make it into the podcast because I don't have time to edit another two-hour podcast before tomorrow. <laughs> I've already done that <laughs> twice this week. And heck, those actually weren't two hours. Those are both over two hours. But enough of that. we got a lot to cover. You don't need to hear me talk about that. So let's move on. Let's go to King's Landing. We have Euron being cheered. Here's an image. And if you look real closely... Euron is holding his reins in one hand, and he's leading some people with some other reins in his left hand. He's wearing gloves, and he's being cheered. So it seems that the prop Cersei's propaganda was working. So you can see Yar in the corner of one of them, and Ilaria in the corner of another. Oh, you can see them both together? It's together. Wow, yeah. I wasn't able to see them together before. That's great. The, uh, so this is interesting because, like we talked about, I think we discussed all the, the permutations of this gift. Like, obviously, Cersei doesn't have to accept it. Uh, she can kill one of them. She can kill both of them. Either way. All three of them, did you include? Potentially yeah. all three. I'm not sure she's going to give Ilaria's, uh, Yara's going to be part of the gift. She easily could be. I kind of think Yaron wants to keep her for himself. We were at least spared so far Yara being uh, put, you know, on the prow of Yaron's ship, which was something we, was, we were worried about happening. But if she's being led in by foot, that means she's not, you know, because she could still walk. <laughs> so she hasn't been, you know, brutally tortured Yet, hopefully, that's not going to happen at all. That's my closest <laughs> guess as to gift is that he's going to present all three of these women, mm. and Cersei's going to say, "Keep your R. I don't care about her." <laughs> I think that's the easiest way for them yeah. to have this line without being overly revealing or whatever. And so we're still wondering if uh, Cersei is going to actually marry Euron. I, I'm thinking no. I think she's going to maybe hold him at arm's length a little more. Maybe ask for more. Maybe just kind of lead him on a little more but i think she might agree to it even if it doesn't happen for episodes and episodes down the road yeah. or things change before it happens she might agree to it and set a date or whatever and it's this big thing and we at some point i think we've seen an image of cersei on the throne with kyburn behind her to one side and you're and behind her to the other side yes so i I don't think they're gonna like gonna get married this episode, but she might agree to it this episode. And then over the next few episodes, we see her arguing with Jamie about it and explaining, "Look, it's just for show. It's not. I don't care about her. I don't love him. I was married to Robert. It didn't stop our relationship, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Yeah, there's the other thing is that, again the order of things happening is huge here. I think based on a trailer scene that, that where Cersei is saying we struck the first blow. Which, by the way, looks like she's going to lose Cassidy Rock later in the episode. And <laughs> so so much for striking the, the first blow, because that blow seems worse. That's going to hurt Cersei and Jamie. But it seems like they get that news before. And I wonder if they get that news ahead, or if they get it just because right when Euron shows up. It would make sense that they wouldn't know until Euron gets there. Like, who's going to have news of that battle in advance of Euron, assuming he goes straight to King's Landing? It's not like there's some faster ship that's going to bolt... Again, they're like, ah, oh, this was this happened, you know. I mean, that could happen. They could explain it in a variety of ways, but I expect them to find out basically right when he gets there. And that may embolden Cersei. That may be why Jamie leaves. I expect Jamie to have left King's Landing at least by the end of this episode, if not sooner. Would you would you agree with that? I mean, there's a shot of him with some soldiers, so yeah. it seems like it may not even be in King's Landing, this shot with him with soldiers. I'll pull that one up later. Actually, Shay's gonna pull it up in just a minute here. An image of Jamie passing through an arch. You guys can take a look at this. And the quote from the episode preview says, learns, Jamie learned from his mistakes. To me, this was the hardest to, to figure out. I mean, Jamie's made plenty of mistakes. It's hard to guess which one he's learning oh, from here. Oh, I was thinking he had made no mistakes. What's there to learn from? <laughs> Maybe he's learning to not lose his hand. You know, don't lose your left hand. You need both. You need the other hand. Um, maybe that was a mistake. No, I don't know what his mistakes are, but maybe it's something to do with military, something to do with, you know, getting... Uh, getting his troops together, something to do with politics, I don't, I don't know, something to do with trusting Cersei, something to do with trusting Euron, something to do with hostages. There's a lot of possibilities, and none of them sound like slam dunks to me. So, yeah, I guess we'll just have to see. Thank you for the super chat, Matthew Brown. Uh, we don't see a question attached, so if you do have a question to share, we'll be looking out for it, but otherwise, we appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm guessing this this shot of Jamie passing through the arch is indication that he's either already left. This could be another location, or he's getting ready to leave because he gets these soldiers sitting there. It's like, hey, here, come on, troops, let's get ready to go. You know, Jamie with soldiers doesn't, you know, those are Lannister soldiers. Those aren't city watch. Those aren't, you know, city guards. Those aren't King's guard. So uh, it seems like he's going to be out in the field pretty soon. Yeah, so there's a lot, a lot to warn about there. Oh, here's another thing we got. Uh, not just Carice Van Houten did an interview recently, but so did Gemma Whalen. That's Yara. And she, both Hollywood Reporter and Newsweek, she did interviews with it. And she had a funny uh, quote about what's next. They asked what's next for her. Is she in, you know, is she in danger? Is she going to die? And she said, well, it's not looking good. And then she laughs. 
But I can't say anything else. Well, yeah, of course you can't say anything else. Other little tidbit. There's been a lot of interviews with Pilo Asbic. That's Euron. And he says he expects to die. Which is sort of a spoiler. That he doesn't die this season. <laughs> yeah. If he says he expects... Maybe he's just being, uh, being you know, uh, clever and wording it a certain way to leave it open. But if he says he expects to die, that almost indicates that he hasn't died yet. That his death scene doesn't occur this season. Which I think is appropriate because he's just now bursting onto the scene and kicking ass and it's only a seven episode season. I think he needs to be around messing things up a little longer. <laughs> Maybe he meant himself personally as an actor, you know, because he's a reckless driver or something. You know? <laughs> Again, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking out the Behind the Silence nine-minute video documentary about how they filmed that battle scene. It's really cool, even if just to see Pilo Asbeck's interview, because the guy's really funny and charismatic, and I just enjoy hearing him talk. One neat thing I got from that, by the way, is in that scene, I was even wondering... With the fire and the sparks kind of floating all around them. Is that CGI? How are they doing this? How come everyone's hair isn't catching up? They, those were real sparks flying all around. That was real fire. There everyone's, was a... They treated everyone's hair and beards with flame retardant foam. But... <laughs> okay, Dornish Dan, Super Chat. Will people still think Jamie is on a redemptive arc if he kills Olena? Good question. Very good question. Well, see, Jamie's arc as redemptive has already been a tougher sell in the show because he killed his own cousin. You know, he killed Alton Lannister to escape. And that was just very different. I mean, that was before his redemption. To be fair, that was before he lost his hand. So this all anything maybe before he starts becoming a better guy, maybe we can sort of call that old Jamie. And ever, ever since he's lost his hand, it's new Jamie. So I, I don't know. What do you think? I have a slightly different perspective in the first place, and it might take me a minute to explain this, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe it's controversial, but I don't know how much redemption he really needs. I don't, I don't think, I think for the most part, he's been at least as morally good as almost every other character in the show. He's just arrogant, but not much more arrogant than every other character on this show, you know what I mean? And he is being portrayed in a better light recently, but I don't think his fundamental character has changed that much. Hmm. Like, some of the worst things he's done, like kill Bran, if you stop and think about it... What if he kills... He did it so nonchalantly, but the fact is, he did it to stop a war. He yeah. did it. If he hadn't done that, him, Cersei, Joffrey, Tommen, Marcella, they're all getting their heads chopped off. A war's going to start. Tywin's not going to let Robert kill the, his whole Lannister family. But, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Maybe he shouldn't have been having an affair with his sister in the first place, <laughs> but there's all kinds of things that characters shouldn't have been doing in the first place, and then once they are, bad things ensue, and I don't feel like we need this redemptive arc for Danny after she told Drogo, called Drogo, hey, I want to be on Iron Throne. He's like, okay, went to war, raped and pillaged a bunch of people. <laughs> no one's like feels like Danny's on this redemptive arc since that happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. She caused terrible things to happen. Jamie prevented terrible things from happening by killing this one boy, and... Uh, again, I, I could we could probably do a whole podcast just about just, certainly meant that'd be cool actually to do a whole podcast just about Jamie. <laughs> I'm just saying that I have a slightly different perspective that I don't necessarily feel like Jamie is or needs to be on a redemptive arc in the first place, and it, I don't think killing Olena stops it, assuming that it was going on in the first place. Right on. Also, a super chat from Miss Arsenal 18x. Thanks, Miss Arsenal 18x. The no, I see no question attached, so I guess you uh, just get a shout out. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I wonder if Jamie's just going to kill her outright. You you guessed maybe they keep her alive just to, you know, because it's maybe makes them seem better. Maybe politics-wise it looks a little better. I reconsidered that a little. I think maybe you might be right on that. And they may not. But they may just want the shock value. Okay. Yeah, just the idea that maybe Elena is captured but not executed because... It's not particularly honorable to execute some old woman right. whose and whole family's been killed off already. Exactly. She's not a threat anymore. Right. Her line she has is no eliminated. Yeah. Right. No one's going to so. come rescue her necessarily. Maybe some loyalists would come rescue her. But but if, but if with Jamie's, you know, one line of dialogue to mm-hmm. Randall Tarley, where he says, the reach will follow, will take your lead. You know, that it, it seems like maybe Elena won't have many people siding with her, especially given that this whole political spin of she's the one who and brought the savages to our shores, you know, dishonorable, you know, and the reach is very haughty and noble and all about that. They're them in the veil, especially are really like all about the chivalry and knighthood and all that kind of upstanding behavior. It's really, those traditions really are most important in those two regions. I did have a couple meta thoughts on whether or not Olena survived. One of which was that, She's such an interesting, popular character. It'd be a shame for her mm-hmm. to die. It seems like they want to keep her around to entertain us. But on the other hand, 
it's more meaningful to kill a character. You know, if every time someone's cool and popular, they have plot armor, well then we'd never lose Ned. You know what I mean? We, you, you have to have people we care about die in order to keep us afraid for keep people we care about. So, uh, Oh, we do. We did have a question from Miss Arsenal 18X. Here's the question. Wanted to ask, how does John think the White Walkers are going to get past the wall exactly? Does he think they're going to climb it or knock it down or what? Yeah, it's a big question. Like the Maester, Maester, Archmaester Ebros is like, they've never gotten past the wall. Why should we worry about that now? What, how, what is John? What do you think John is worried about? Maybe he just, well, there's got to be something. They've got to have a way around. Yeah. You know, there's got to be something. Well, he's already had one battle at the wall, right? Wildlings had never got past before either, but it was close there, right? It's true. And without Stannis showing up, they may have done it. Yeah. And wildlings can't come back from the dead. All those wildlings that were killed in that battle are now part of the undead. You know, it may be tough. They, a lot of them might die in the process. They may have to funnel through some, you know, narrow passage. But there's infinite of them and they don't die, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. It, and even if it doesn't happen like next week or even in John's lifetime, it's still this constant threat that exists. So you got to remember, like, this wall was built, and for centuries, right, generations and generations was defended. It was like this important part of the land and the world and the culture was to defend the wall against this threat in the north. And it's just been forgotten about. John's here to remind us, hey, you got to not forget about this. The threat is still there. Even if he doesn't have some, some specific detail of how they're going to get past there's a reason they didn't just build the wall and abandon it in the first place. It's been manned, and now it's not, and he's worried about that. And it makes sense, even if he doesn't have the exact plan that the White Walkers are going to get through it with, it doesn't mean that there's no way it can happen. So. Yeah. Now, I see a lot of people are disappointed with the possibility of the wall, the, the sea being frozen and the walkers just going around it. They think that's anticlimactic. I don't I suppose John has even considered that possibility yet. Maybe he'll be aware, made aware of it soon, especially if the sea really is freezing. Be like, oh... Good Lord, our moat just froze. I mean, that's the equivalent. It's <laughs> like, oh, man, the, could this get any worse? And we know that, you know, Tormund and those guys have been are being sent to Eastwatch, and we're not really sure whether what's going on there. I'm kind of assuming that we won't hear any news of that just yet, especially because John's going south, and it seems like the Winterfell politics are going to take front and center in the short term, and we'll have Night King and his army a little later. That seems like a thing for the end of the season. Could be surprised, who knows, but... That seems to be uh, something they're going to hold on to for a bit. That was a sentiment that I saw a lot of people say is that, you know, how come they never did this before? You know, what's the point of the wall? But my response to that is, one, I feel like it is very possible to happen. We saw when the White Walker at Craster's Keep just froze water almost instantly with his mm -hmm. presence. You it was know? kind of foreshadowing. It's Good clear point. that it's a potential thing that can happen. But why didn't it happen in the past? Well, maybe in the past they weren't their power level wasn't as high, or they weren't motivated to do it. It's yeah. a question we've been asking all along. Why are the White Walkers coming about at this moment in general? We don't exactly know, but that might be connected to why in the past they didn't freeze this water over and bypass the wall, and now they are. Slowly just, ramping up. You know. They're slowly ramping up. There's no evidence that the wall has ever actually stopped them. We don't, we don't know for sure. It just seems likely, but... We don't know. I mean, the wall was built, for all we know, the wall was built after the walkers vanished, and they've never come back until now. This is sort of the common story we're told. So it's, it's almost like the people say, you don't build that wall just to keep out wildlings. Well, effectively, that may be what they did. <laughs> I, I had a, a, a just a funny comment to make, but I started to think, Ooh, what, is there possible? Maybe the white walkers built the wall to keep children of the forest out, or the first men out, or something like that. I don't know if that's just completely silly. If it is, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I can see people being why they would think that was anticlimactic for them just to walk around the wall, but I do think it's realist, realistic. I mean, realistic given the setting and what we've been told about the walkers. Like you said, the freezing of the water right there. I mean, freezing seawater is a lot more than freezing a few puddles or whatever. It's But still, they showed that. That, that, that may have been intentional to, to prepare us for this. So Also, something being what you might think of as being anticlimactic, it doesn't necessarily make it bad or even anticlimactic. Just throwing this out there, the scene in Indiana Jones where that guy pulls out his sword and he's all flipping it around. You're ready for this fight and he just pulls out his pistol and shoots him dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was a little anticlimactic, but it's a very memorable moment in film history. So I see podcast Winterfell in the chat. Hey, guys, how you doing there? And I, I there's an interesting comment here as well talking about the idea of, well, maybe, yeah, they don't, they don't know. They don't know what they were doing there. They don't know that. The, what the wall was even built for in the first place but maybe bran can answer that question that's we talk about all the limitless possibilities for what bran can look at he's like well 
well, what did, how did the wall work before? What did the walkers do in the ancient, ancient, super ancient past? I mean, he was able to look back and see the first white walker being yeah, made. So that's right. he has already looked back that far. So it's not like, like, oh, he can't look back that far. No, it's already happened. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bran, with his vast ability to see everything or anything, this is what they'll decide to show us some sort of, uh-oh. Yep, to be clear, though, around. Bran's <laughs> potential ability to see <laughs> everything or anything. I don't know if he could just willy-nilly go back to whenever, wherever. Definitely. Okay, so... Let's move onward. We can always come back to some of these other topics later after we've covered our main topics. We're going to go, the official episode here is going to go about 10 to 15 more minutes, and then we're going to end our official dialogue. But continue to take questions. Again, that's only going to be for you guys who are live. I am not going to edit these questions and add them <laughs> to the podcast later. So you guys are special. You 550, close to 600 odd people, you're the special ones today. We'll take one question from each person. <laughs> so let's talk about Casterly Rock. Now, this appears to be something that we've seen a lot of trailer shots for. It wasn't entirely clear when some of the first trailers were coming out, but at this point, I believe every single shot of the Unsullied we've seen in battle is this battle, which is which tells us a lot. One, it's uh, what are the Unsullied going to do after this? Are they going to win and be so decimated that they're not a useful army anymore? Are they going to lose... The battle, the, the trailers seem to show them doing well. We see them get inside Casterly Rock. That, at least, is going to happen. That doesn't mean they win. It means they're likely to win. But eh, they could take heavy losses. Grey Worm could die. They could be severely reduced as a fighting force. So they're just, well, we're just going to garrison Casterly Rock. We're not good for much else now because we lost four-fifths of our army. So the fact that there's no other trailer shots later in the season of the Unsullied means maybe they just didn't have the budget to put them in multiple battles. Maybe they, maybe we just haven't seen those shots, or maybe something kind of bad happens. I know there's a sentiment out there that wonders if Varus is a traitor. There's people who think that the fleet, Yara's fleet getting ambushed by Euron was a result of some sort of backstabbing. Yeah. And I don't want to like totally discount that. I default to not thinking that because both the fleets are right there in the same sea anyway. It doesn't seem that far-fetched that Euron could have had scouts or just coincidentally run into them. But maybe, especially because they did have that scene where they seemed to... Varus had to justify himself to Danny. Maybe it was there just because it's something we and many people have been speculating and how are these relationships going to play out? There's things in the past that they might be in condition, so they needed to address that. And so they did. But maybe that also was maybe some foreshadowing, hinting that there was some backstabbing going. Mm. Maybe we should be worried about this. And if... Let's just say if... Varus or someone could have tipped Euron's hat to where Yara's fleet was, maybe he could also tip Cersei's hat to someone on the way to Castle Rock. Mm, yes. And so this force shows up to Castle Rock, and we even hear Tyrion say, they know we're coming, you know. So, say it seems like things are going well. This commando force sneaks inside, opens the front gate, main force comes to the front gate, and then boiling oil is dropped on them, or wildfire lights up, and they just face this devastating would, loss right off the bat. And know? that would be the part the trailers hid from us. They show right. the Unsullied getting inside, because that happens. We know for a fact from the, well, not for a fact, that the trailers seem to strongly indicate that a small commando force goes in through the tunnels or the secret passage, the, the drains. I've got a few Tyrion quotes that show that this is probably going to happen in the books as well. Um, it's been set up that way. So, but yeah, like you said, but they could, it could be a trap. I, I don't expect it to be, I don't think either of us expect that, but it's definitely worth mentioning as a possibility. But there's a lot of odd things about this battle. It's going to be a Game of Thrones battle that clearly we're going to see, because the trailer shows a lot of battle scenes of this. Unsullied fighting Lannisters, but there's only one character we know. Grey Worm is literally the only character in this battle that we have a name for or any background on. By the way... That's part of why they did that scene with Masande to, to, to set that up, to give him a little more, make this more important, to give more tension to Grey Worm, just to remember that he's a real person, to, give, to make us like him more, to set up this, you know, worry of his life in Masande and worry about what Masande's going to be thinking. If we're hoping to see his butt again, we're worried he'll be killed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really unusual. We're going to have this large battle that they spent a lot of money on. Clearly, they couldn't have done this cheaply where we only have Grey Worm as the only character that we know. And that's just really kind of, huh, it's kind of a head-scratcher that, that, you know, that it went this way. But I'm not, I'm not complaining, but it, it's kind of odd. So, and it so, does make you wonder what else there might be to this that yeah. we're not seeing. You know? So based on our theory of 
no other named characters. That to me, that means Grey Worm's pretty safe. I'm not terribly worried about him. I could see them doing it. You know, they could they could surprise us, no doubt. But there's no like second in command unsullied. There's none. Maybe they'll introduce something like that. Yeah, I, I I tell you, a part of me does hope that they introduce new characters. I do want to see some Dornish general. I do want to see some some unsullied captain. But and they are still introducing new characters. Tar, Randall Tarley seen, and his son seem to be getting featured. Yeah, Euron even. I guess he was here last season. So was Randall Tarley. But still, they seem to be getting incorporated into the show. The, yes, the Maester and Old Town, so on. You know, so yes. it's not crazy that they can introduce a new character. And I do hope for it. But it, but aside from that, it does make me feel like if Grey Worm dies, that battle is probably lost, and vice versa. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. I don't see how the Unsullied take Casterly Rock. Grey Worm dies, and they maintain... You know, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think things are kind of tied together thematically. I see what you yeah. mean. That makes sense. If they do win the battle, I can see how maybe they both lose a lot of forces and need a force to maintain Castle Rock, and so Grey Worm and the Unsullied are removed from the rest of the plot. Does that make sense? Yeah, here's a here's a still, by the way. This is a really cool image of Grey Worm with his faceplate. This is super awesome. And that's... Just look at this. It's so cool. He's such a... I love the, I love the Unsullied armor that they pulled up for this. This is great. And so we have to wonder, there's a couple, there's another shot of him that we don't have, but it's from a previous trailer where he's fighting someone in a corridor, which is more evidence that they get deep inside the castle. Seems to indicate they're going to be successful. So I'm definitely still leaning. That's the way I would be pretty, I'm pretty confident they're going to win, but I'm not confident that it will, won't come without a high cost. Now here's a, here's a tidbit for why, um, how they might be getting in. I, I pulled a couple of quotes. Remember my longstanding attitude towards information that's repeated by George R. R. Martin in the books. Here's this from A Dance with Dragons, Tyrion 3. If it is useful occupation you require, useful occupation you shall have, his father then said. So to mark his manhood, Tyrion was given charge of all the drains and cisterns within Casterly Rock. Perhaps he hoped he, I'd fall into one, but Tywin had been disappointed in that. The drains never drained half so well as when he had charge of them. So, Tyr so Tyrion's clearly giving... Subtle hints about that there's little things going on in Cassidy Rock that he knows about that, that higher-ranking people wouldn't because Tywin himself is not going to be hands-on with the drains. <laughs> <laughs> and, but also, in the world of Ice and Fire, there's this quote. Regardless of his origins, the tales agree that somehow Lan the Clever winkled the Casterlies out of their rock and took it for his own. The precise method by which he accomplished this remains a matter of conjecture. In the most common version of the tale, Lan discovered a secret way inside the rock, cleft so narrow that he had to strip off his clothes and coat himself with butter in order to squeeze through. Once inside, however, he began to work his mischief. So that's another hint that there's a secret way in. And the Game of Thrones Wikipedia flat out refers directly to Lan the Clever and a secret tunnel. So... It's been mentioned several places, so this is extremely likely to happen. And I would think that if the Lannisters knew they were coming, they wouldn't let them inside and then spring a trap. They would just trap them in the secret tunnel or something like that. So I still think the theory that something's going to go wrong is very much alive, but I'm doubtful that the Lannisters are going to have a lot of advance warning. We do see a shot that we, don't, we didn't pull, but we do see a shot of them... Of, the land, of them coming in by ship. The Targaryen ships are arrayed behind Grey Worm. Now here's another image we have. This one has caused some people, I think a little confusion. This is a bunch of archers. I saw some people guessing that these were Tarly archers based on the helmet design. I really don't think so, especially because of the color. And the Tarly archers, I see no reason for them to be fighting, to de defending a castle, which is clearly what's happening here. These guys are on a battlement. They're on a wall. They're shooting down at someone else attacking them. I don't see the Tarlys being in a defensive position. At any time soon. I do see the Casterly Rock being in a defensive position in this next episode. So I do think those were Lannister archers, especially because we see a different shot in another trailer of unsullied climbing walls falling down shot full of arrows. So we know there's going to be a scene of archers shooting at the unsullied in this episode. So I think that's all pretty well sealed up as far as that possibilities go. You know, this is a quick thought. I wonder if it's possible. This maybe is a little too convoluted, but... Maybe the, maybe it is. Maybe the Lannisters have to attack Randall Tarly. Maybe he goes back on his commitment to Jamie, and that's the, the lesson Jamie's learning. Mm, not to trust in him. Ah, interesting. I would... not, not to tear someone between their oaths, you know, that they're going to default to the closer oath, you know. Oh, okay. That's an interesting idea. I would guess that's not likely, but possible for sure. You know, that's kind of cool. I like the thought. Okay, we have one more location and that we confirm. We, there may be other locations in this episode that weren't shown in the trailer, but the Citadel, there's a brief shot of the Citadel in this one. We've got Sam 
looks like he's standing in front of Ebros's desk because there seems to be like some anatomy drawings there, and Ebros is the you know top guy for that in and uh, at the Citadel. So maybe he's being chewed out for what he did. Maybe he's arguing more about the drag about the obsidian thing. It's really it's just it's it's not clear. What do you, do you have any predictions for what's next at the Citadel? I, I have a few thoughts about the Citadel and Sam. In fact, and I don't know if any of them are going to happen as quick as this episode, but I wonder. And I think we touched on this a little bit before, the idea of there being a split demand for resources if they want Dragonstone. Like if, say that this thing that Sam did, whether it cures Jorah or not, what if it spreads, you know what I mean? What if he causes the uh, <clears throat> the grayscale to spread? And then suddenly they need Dragonglass in Old Town in addition to needing Dragonglass in the North. Mm. Whether it spreads or not, you can imagine Sam getting in trouble and getting kicked out of Old yeah. Town. Minor side note, another thing that I've thought about, kind of jokingly, I can't remember if I've said it on here or not, but Sam so far has stolen a sword from his family, <laughs> stolen keys from a maester, stolen <laughs> books from a locked chamber, and performed a forbidden ritual. I wonder I, if he's going to end up being Kyburn's apprentice, so, you know, <laughs> uh, especially if he gets kicked out of Old Town at this moment. Now, he partly might not care. He's got what he needs. Right? He's yeah. got the information that he needs to help John in the North. That's what he's really there for. On some level, he's there to be a maester, but maybe he's decided it's not worth it. These guys don't understand what's going on in the real world. It's taking too long. I have the immediate knowledge that I need. I'm getting kicked out anyway, et cetera, et cetera. One way or the other, if that happens, I think it's possible, if not likely, he heads to Dragonstone mm. to get the dragon glass. Mm. And who else might want to go to Dragonstone to visit Jorah, Danny? Jorah, who, yes, you know, yes. so I can see that being a trip. I can see Jorah and Sam traveling together to Dragonstone. Okay, so I have a, an add-on theory to that. We've, we said, what, is Cersei going to marry Euron? Okay, regardless whether she does or not, what's next for Euron? He's got to continue to be this evil badass doing dark stuff, killing people, doing things, making moves getting power we're just gonna have a bunch of torture scenes with him and yara like we had ramsey and theon <laughs> i hope not but that's a good point though he's basically destroyed his own native opposition he destroyed yara and theon's iron fleet version so he doesn't really have opposition for his own kingdom anymore so it's, he's all he can be entirely focused on his alliance with cersei his potential alliance with cersei or his just his own plans in the books it's widely believed that he's going to have something to do with old town so those two things could go together right we also, you noticed yeah. something that, that might be true, which is that the, the character playing Archmaester Ebros appears to have been cast in six episodes this season, which means Sam is very unlikely to be leaving the Citadel soon. Unless there's some leftover plot line like Grayscale breaking out across Old Town. And they need to show us that. Yes, yeah. absolutely possible. So, putting those things together, we could still get Euron attacking Old Town, some version of that in the show, where which is what we expect in the book. It hasn't happened in the books. It's not certainly not a guarantee. We just there's a lot of reason to suspect it might. And if we apply that thinking here, and especially added on to the fact that we don't know what else Euron's going to do, like is Euron going to? He's not going to attack Daenerys and her dragons. Like that seems like suicide. He's not going to go north. You know, like he might. You know, another thing he might do. He might go trap. There is still enough fleet to carry the Unsullied to Castle Rock. Yes. And that's not far from home if he heads back to Castle Rock and or the Iron Islands mm. and traps the Unsullied there. That could Even solve our the problem yeah. there. Yeah, we don't know what the Unsullied are going to do next. Maybe Euron hymns them in there. That's clever. I like it. I like it. He could destroy the Lannister fleet. Uh, sorry, destroy the Targaryen fleet that drops the Unsullied off. And then, yeah, then they would have to march back overland, which maybe it isn't possible or... Maybe they're too decimated from their attack on Castle Rock. Castle Rock is supposed to be really hard to take, even and Sully are total badasses. But we, they, 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 this can't be easy for them. Even with the secret <laughs> tunnel, I don't expect them to to not take heavy casualties. So, and even if they do take it, are they trying to hold it? Like we've already seen this be an issue time and time again. Yes. When Theon takes Winterfell, you know, someone's <laughs> still got to run Winterfell. He's not doing a good job of it. Danny has a problem. She takes these cities. So, who who's is Grey Worm gonna run Casterly Rock? Are the powers <laughs> that be in Casterly Rock just gonna bend the knee and do whatever he says? What would he even say? I see a lot of problems with this. So yeah, there, it's really I'm very curious. This is hard to predict. Very hard to predict. Yeah, and it becomes a matter. Only we only we can do is, is spell out all these missing get these gaps. Like what's Euron gonna do next? What's Sam gonna do in the meantime? And try to see if maybe those things connect. That's the one thing that makes think predicting a little bit easier this season is there's fewer plot lines 
there's fewer locations, and all the main where the main characters are are condensed in one place. Although they're starting to split apart split a little bit. Out, Although yeah. John is going from the north to be with Daenerys, so they're still kind of together a in a sense, just different together. So there's a lot of which is a good theme here. Is a lot of potential for not just reunions. Well, there is potential for some great reunions, but just first meetings. Danny and John obviously is about as big as it gets, but there's also more potential for Euron and, and Cersei to have another conversation. Euron and, and Jamie to be around. Maybe Euron and Kyburn. We're kind of hoping for to see how that goes. That could be really interesting. So I think there's a lot that the trailers have shown us, but there's a lot that, that it is. Some of it's a distraction because there's a lot that they haven't shown us, and there's a lot that we know kind of has to happen. But how? Why? When? Yeah, it's a lot trickier. Well, that is, that's our official coverage. I've got a few other things to say, though, and then we'll take some questions from you guys, and we'll call it, we'll, we'll call it a day. I did, like I said, I rewatched all the trailers that have been put out so far, and by the end of episode four, episode four meaning, this is episode three we're about to see, episode four is called The Spoils of War, and I don't, I don't know much about it, but it's, it's, other than that it's short, and that there's a shot of Lannister soldiers on the cover. So, that could be another battle. We could be getting close to the field of fire or this could be some sort of showdown between the reach elements with the Lannisters involved so here's a few things we haven't seen yet though I collected if I just just by mention we're not going to pull them up again but here's a few things we haven't seen yet things we've seen in trailers but haven't seen in a show right that that we haven't minus those that we expect to see in this next episode Arya looking under the bed. Remember that scene where Arya yeah. like, seems to be looking under a bed. I don't know what's that about. Is Littlefinger hiding under there? She's like, "Where did you go, Littlefinger? I'm going to get you. You can't hide under the bed." <laughs> Nightmare is hiding under the bed. Yeah, so that's a really curious shot because, like, it's hard to imagine what. Why is she looking under the bed? It, you know it may not even be a bed. You know. I wonder if maybe someone has taken her sword. If she put her sword under the bed, hmm. she's staying at some inn. She's traveling. Wakes up, looks there, and it's not there. Could be, could be. Uh, we have that shot I mentioned earlier, Littlefinger creeping around the corner. That's bound to happen at some point, you know, maybe sooner. I'm expecting it to happen sooner rather than later. Of course, we have the big field of fire battle. That, you know, the Daenerys on her dragon with all the Dothraki sweeping in, fighting the Lannisters. That's coming maybe as soon as episode four, but I sort of expect it to be a little later in the season. Um, Jamie's charge, his kind of suicidal looking charge with the lance and by that flame of water past all the carnage. There's that shot of two people in the water as a gout of apparently dragon flame shoots above them, which is also hasn't happened yet, which may be part of the field of fire battle. We also have that shot of the Night King looking up and Bran taking over the ravens. Yeah. That's probably feels like an end of season type of thing, but maybe it'll be sooner. That is the type of thing it could be like in this next episode. It could just be two minutes of two scenes just reminding us about this threat that's out there. Absolutely. Like, what is Bran going to be doing? Like, we know Bran, we're pretty sure Bran gets the Winterfell this episode, but like we said, no, it's super hard to predict what he could, where he could send his third eye. And there's a million things he could do, but an obvious potential is him checking in on the Night King, checking in. What's that? What's what's up with them? Are they still coming? Are they? Uh, what's their deal? Especially if Sansa doesn't seem to be concerned with it. If he, John's overly concerned with this thing, right? Bran is Bran is going to show up, not caring or thinking anything about Littlefinger or Cersei's queen out that. He just doesn't care about that. You don't understand. There's this zombie army coming, and Sansa might not realize how important it is, so maybe he'll try to evoke some image to get her in on the relevance or whatever. That was an interesting little slip of the tongue. You mentioned you accidentally said Braun, and I suppose if we see Jamie leaving King's Landing this episode, we should have he should be with Braun. I would expect that. Because we see him they see we see him together in a trailer shot that was released much earlier. They're just kind of side by side on a horse yeah. getting ready for a battle. Of course, if Jamie's going out in the field, he's taking Bronn with him. So that's we'll the thing some, I'm always looking forward to. We'll get some Bronn dialogue, probably. Maybe a little, maybe a little quip or something. <laughs> he's like, hey, what about that? What about that wife you owe me? <laughs> something like that. Seriously, let me get Tyene. Yeah, let me get Tyene, man. Come on, <laughs> give me Tyene. Hook me up. Hook me up, dog. <laughs> so, some people, speaking of Tyene, some people wanted, uh, wanted to know about why wasn't Euron poisoned? They clearly cut him in his legs a few times. Well, there's no evidence that Nymeria or. Obara used poison. Tyene used poison, and Ilaria used poison, and people just assume that all four of them do. But there's no there's no reason for us to assume that they do. It would be it would make sense if they did, but it would also make sense if they didn't. Let's yeah. say in general they did. Do they just always have poison on their weapons all the time? Yeah. You know, this they were is caught a surprise off guard. attack that yeah. suddenly happened. Maybe they could have should have had time to apply some poison right quick. But also maybe Euron has traveled the 
14 C's and his immune. He's built, spent the past <laughs> few years building up an immunity Iocane powder. You know? <laughs> yeah, see, he's... Uh, oh, man, what's that character's name? I can't remember that character's name from Princess Bride. The yeah. Man in Black. Man in Wesley. Black. Wesley, yeah. yes. So, yeah, he's he built up that. And that, by the way, is sort of based on... Uh, there's actually some truth to that. There's Mithridates the third or fourth of uh, who fought the Romans. He did that. He, like, took yeah. poisons as a kid to try to build up... Because there was so much poisoning in the courts of the East that I time. do that, too. I've slowly built up a po- <laughs> uh, uh, an immunity to Coca-Cola. Speaking of, what are you drinking? We got people asking about that. And do you, are you taking poison in this drink? Uh, if Mountain Dew counts as poison, this is uh, <laughs> some a people naked, would say it is. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a naked protein drink mixed with Mountain Dew and green tea, and it's delicious. I'm telling you, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> and relatively healthy. <laughs> okay. It's well. full of like vitamin A and C and even protein and carbonation and caffeine. <laughs> what else do you want? <laughs> I, on the other hand, am drinking. Coffee with dark chocolate syrup, and it's just great. <laughs> We're, once again, about 600 people watching here. That's only 10% of the way to 6,000, at which time we've committed to a 24-hour marathon podcast. So each of you tell 10 friends. He's he's sort of joking, but he's not. I, I really would do a 24-hour stream if we could get 6,000 people in this stuff. We're a long ways from that, but I really would do it. Uh, I would, I would, I'm up for a marathon. I could do it. We could pull it off. We could pull it off. I don't know if YouTube would allow us to stream for 24 hours, <laughs> but we would just like keep opening new windows and telling everybody how to get there. So, yeah, training uh, in the uh, in between episodes, we're training for for our, building our stamina up to do a 24 hour stream. Okay, yeah, 24 seven. Yeah, for charity, we would totally do it for charity. That's a good idea. We would do it for charity. 24 hour podcast of C- of Crusader Kings 2. Yeah, it's a 24 hour gaming stream. <laughs> now that I've actually done, not without a stream, but we have, Michelle and I have played Crusader Kings 24 hours straight before. When it first came out, that was years ago. I think, I don't even think we had a podcast then. So, <laughs> but anyway, that is all for today. Uh, as I said at the beginning, we wouldn't do any credits, no. Uh, no Patreon shoutouts, but that's just that we could get through this all quickly because, of course, the episode is tomorrow and we want people to be able to listen to this. We want time for that to happen and if this is as long as our normal episode, it's hard to pull that off. And again, I have to edit this episode <laughs> after after the fact. So thank you very much, everybody, for showing up. Thanks to Ashea for running production. Behind the scenes is just important as what we're doing right here. And, of course, thanks to Sean for being here as well and helping with the questions and adding your great insight. Thanks. We'll see everybody very soon. Enjoy episode three. Valar rewatches.